We are so honored to have you with us this morning. Uh, we do love our church. We love one another. We love what God's doing through this body. And we love the future. We love what God wants to do through this body. And so we're excited to, to grab hold of that and, and, and take that by the reins. Um, today, as I started preparing for today, I, I was looking at a, uh, a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. And then as I was reading it, I came across a prayer that Jesus prayed. And the, these prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed and that Jesus prayed are very, very similar. They're very close to one another. And so I thought, well, my goodness, if the Apostle Paul prayed this and if Jesus prayed this, I better be praying this too, right? And so I'm going to take a look at that. And the content of this prayer revolves around the theme of today. And the title of today, we're in this I Love My Church series. And, but the, the, the title for today is this, is um, uh, uh, The Key to Our Future. The key to our future. And I'm just going to go ahead and give the, the, the whole kit and caboodle right now, but you can't walk out. You, now that you have the key, you got to stay and listen to me, okay? But I'm going to go ahead and share the key right off the bat. That way you're, you're not worried about it throughout the message. And the key to our future, the key to the future of Elm Grove, the key to the future of the family of God, the key to the future of the church is a little word, but it's a huge word. It's a word called unity. Yes. Unity. I want you to look at your neighbor and say unity. unity. It's, uh, uh, let's be honest, though. Unfortunately, in today's world, uh, the Christians are not prevalently known as being the most unified people. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And so, crazy story. Uh, when we lived in Enid, there was a man who we were, you know, we were at the, the wonderful Enid Mall. If you've never been to the Enid Mall, man, you're missing out. Big, big things at Enid Mall. Uh, and so, <laughs> it's like Woodland Hills, and it's like Quail Springs and Penn Square all combined. Right? They're restrooms. Um, but we're at Enid Mall, and we're walking through the mall, and this guy, he's, he comes up to me, and you could tell he's excited about something, and he began to share his faith with me. He began to witness, and I, I thought about stopping him, but then I thought, you know what? I'm so excited that someone else is excited about Jesus. I just, I'm, I'm going to let him go. I want him to do his thing. And so he began to do his thing, and, 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 after about 10 to 15 minutes of just constant, I, I couldn't get a word in. Like I was trying to say, okay, you know. And after about 10, 15 minutes of him just going and going and going, finally I was able to say, okay, 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 hang on, man. <laughs> That's awesome. But I want to let you know something. I, too, am a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was like, oh, and I remember him reaching back and we slapped out five. He's like, that is awesome. And I'm like, shh. Right, because you know he just—he was excited, right? And I was excited because I was heading to Chick Fil A. That was when Chick Fil A was still in the mall, and and, and so, but he was just—he was so excited about this, and and he was like, "That's awesome!" And he's like, "Man, you gotta come to my church. You gotta come to my church." Well, I didn't tell him I was a pastor, and I was like, "Well, I said, I'm kind of kind of connected to a church already." He's like, "Oh, that's great! That's great! What church is it?" And I said, "Well, it's Enid First Assembly." And his countenance just changed, just totally changed in that moment. And he went from, yeah, 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 to, oh, you're going to hell. <laughs> I mean, he just changed. And, and I just kind of looked at him. He said, in the first assembly? And I said, yeah. He said, oh. He said, man, 
my pastor says that y'all's pastors, even for the assembly, they don't preach truth. <laughs> he still had no idea I was a pastor. And I was like, really? I was like, well, you tell your pastor to meet one of our pastors in the alley behind him in the first assembly, and I'll introduce him to truth and grace. At the same, right? <laughs> I didn't say that. But that, was, that would have been really good, wouldn't it? That would have been really good. But I just sat there. I was kind of stunned. I said, well, I said, I, I, I think they use the Bible. And he was like, no, you, you need to come to my church where we preach truth. And he's like, that, that, that's that big church, and they just preach wherever they got to to get people in. He said, come to my church. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. And we just kind of left it at that. But as I thought about that in preparation for today, I thought about how tragic it was, how the body of Christ can be so divided. We live in a world that is divided. Turn on the news. But how tragic is it that the body of Christ is divided. In fact, I think with all my heart that one of Satan's greatest schemes is to divide the body of Christ. Why? Because if you're taking notes or looking for something tweetable or Instagrammable or Facebookable, here it is. Uh, United, we are unstoppable. Divided, we're deluded. United, we are unstoppable. Divided, we're deluded. And so today I want to dive into this prayer, this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed that really addresses the importance of the theme of the family of God being united. Now listen, as you look across this body, as you look across this congregation, you can come to our rib dinners, you can come to, to the different functions that we, we host here, you can go to the things that we do in our community, and you can see this, you can see that this church is a united church, yes. that we're a united family. And so I'm not preaching this from the standpoint of we need to get united. I'm preaching this from the standpoint of we need to stay united. Yes. That the key to our future, the key to where God wants to take us, because God will not work through, oh, come on. Yes. The key to our future, the key to where we are going is us staying as one. Because power is released. I don't want to get into my sermon. You're making me get into my sermon already. I stop. Okay, so let's go. Romans 15, verse 5 through 7. Romans 15, verse 5 through 7, be up here on the screen. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Okay? Now, his prayer is this. Paul, Paul is praying. His prayer is this, that you would treat each other like Jesus, uh, that you would treat each other like Jesus treated you, that you would think about each other like Jesus thinks about you, that you would love each other like Jesus loves you. Why? So that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to do what? That when you do this, you bring what? You bring praise to God. You bring praise to God. His prayer is, is very, very consistent with the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus, he prayed, he prayed, I pray also that those who believe in me through their message, uh, that all of them may be one. Why? So that they may be brought to complete unity. May they all be one. That we as a family of God would be unified. That we would be one. And then this is so good. That the world will know that you sent me. Jesus says, and have loved them as you have loved me. 
Paul prayed for unity. Jesus prayed for unity. Why? So that God would be glorified and the world would know that God sent Jesus to reach a lost and broken world. Unity. And I, I wonder, as I start talking about this, why is this so important to God? Why is unity such a big deal to God? But as I get older, and as a parent of four children, that's a basketball team minus one, I understand. I get it. <laughs> I get why unity is such a big thing. I'm having a better understanding of why our Heavenly Father thinks unity is, is love and unity is, is a huge deal. Because one of the things that brings the greatest joy to me, one of the pictures, and I totally forgot to do this. I was going to bring this picture this morning to throw it up on the screen. Is one of the, the greatest pictures that, that, that I have that just brings me a lot of joy is one, day, one night after a, a football game here in Sealing, we took a picture of our four kids walking uh, off the field. And you had Jaxie on one side, and then you had Josie, and then you had Gentry, and then you had JD, and they're all four you know, holding hands and walking together. And we just sat back and we took a picture real quick because that don't happen a whole, whole lot. Right. And so we, and, and, and like that's one of my favorite pictures because you got the football lights in the background and they're on the football field and they're walking hand in hand. I'm like, that's my kids, right? They're unified. They're one. And so I just, I love that picture. And you can just tell there's, there's a lot of love in that moment. But how many know when you go on long journeys in a minivan, Come on, somebody. <laughs> Things are a little bit different. And, and, and my kids are awesome, awesome kids. They get along anywhere. But when, when you put them four, and I ain't going to leave me and mom out too. You put us six in the minivan going on a long journey, someone may not make it there. You know? So <laughs> a lot of times I'm the one voted off the island. But... But, there, 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 you know, sometimes in, in, that, in, in that structure, in, in that minivan, there's alliances that are built. There are teams that are built. There's strategy from the back seat with all four of them. The alliances, the teams, the strategies. And I find myself doing something that I never thought I would do, that my mom and dad did, and I thought I would never do that. And it's this, don't make me pull this van over. Because if I pull this van over, you ain't going to like what happens. If I have to stop, I'm on my way to Chuck E. Cheese, right? And if I have to pull this van over, it ain't going to be a good thing. And I remember one time, it's been since we lived here, we were going to Visai. And one of our kids, they just threw a fit, the kid or me or somebody. And, and we had to pull over. And when we pulled, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a happy time, right? We, we, we weren't praying, bless me, Jesus. And, and one of the things, you know, I don't know about you, but I remember my mom and dad being on trips, and I'd be in the back seat, and my dad just, you know, he didn't care who he hit, he was just hitting something. Stop back there. What's bad is I grew up an only child, so it's only me, right? And I found myself sometimes, you know, stop, stop, you know, and I, oh my goodness, I'm my dad, right? This is ridiculous. Don't make me pull this van over. I get it. I get why Jesus wants us to be unified. I get why my heavenly father wants his kids to be unified because I'm an earthly father who wants my kids and my family to be unified. So I'm starting to get it. So why is it we fight so often then in the body of Christ as a whole? 
understand that as I talk this morning, teach this morning, I'm not talking about specifically about Elm Grove. I'm just talking about the body of Christ as a whole. Tragically, it's, it's because we think the Christians down the street, or sometimes even the Christians right down the pew, are the enemy. And they're not. It's only when we recognize that we have a common enemy that we stay in unity. In fact, I want you to check out this kind of, it's, it's kind of bad, it's kind of pixelated, it's an old video, but it just describes how unity works and how we have a common enemy and what we can do when we work together as one. Check it out. <laughs> I also see it like when I was in college, I went to my first two years at Eastern Oklahoma State College in Wilburton, Oklahoma, and as I was in college, I was on the livestock judging team there, and and. Uh, the livestock judging team where we stayed, the, the, you know, the area where we stayed, and then the, the basketball team, the area where they stayed, uh, we didn't get along very well for some reason. I don't know what it was. We were just trying to teach them about Jesus that whole time. And we, <laughs> we, we, we didn't get along very well. And they didn't like us, and we didn't like them. But one night when we were having activities out on the, the front lawn of the dormitory area, the baseball boys, they came through. And there was a, a couple of trucks of baseball boys, pickup trucks, and they had baseball boys in the back of these pickup trucks. And as they come through that evening, um, well, let me just say this. Let me put it politically correct. A full moon was out, okay? <laughs> and they drove by our area, and, 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 and the full moon was out, and they drove by the basketball team's area, and the full moon was out. Well, suddenly, the, the livestock judging team and the basketball team, we joined forces. Why, why was that? Because now we had one common enemy, the baseball team. Because nobody does that to us ag boys, right? But now we have one common enemy. And that's kind of the way I see I know that's a silly illustration. But that's one way that I see this is that we, we, we have one common enemy and we need to get our focus on one common enemy in the body of Christ. And that enemy is not each other. That enemy is no one in town and it's no one, that enemy is no one on TV. Come on, somebody. That enemy is the enemy, the Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, and we need to get focused on him and what he's trying to accomplish. We need to recognize that we have an enemy whose mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the Bible says, right? To steal the unity of the family of God, to kill the power that that unity brings, and to destroy the credibility of the local church. That's what he wants to do. And when we recognize his tactics and we stand together, we can do more together for the glory of God than we can apart. And so we've got to stand together. So I want to give you three reasons here this morning about why unity is such a big deal with God. Okay? Three reasons why unity is such a big deal with God. And we'll go through these real quick. Man, it's only 1030. No, they did set that clock up. My goodness. <laughs> Kevin, why'd you do that? I thought I had an hour and a half here. Well, the first reason. I better get going then. The first reason. Okay, the first reason why unity is such a big deal to God is because this, we desperately need each other. 
Whether we realize it or not, we need each other. We desperately need one another in the family of God. Paul says it like this in Romans 12, 5. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. In other words, the hand is not the ear, the ear is not the foot, the foot's not the esophagus. We all have separate parts that we play, and those separate parts work well together. They have a special function, and without one, we are incomplete. He said this, we are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. We're part of a broader family, and we're, and we're different. And we're different by design. That's how God made us. We need to understand this about unity. Unity is not the same as uniformity. Okay? Unity is not the same as uniformity. Unity can be defined as this, as oneness in purpose. Oneness in purpose. The sameness is not in who we are. The sameness is in where we are going. Come on, somebody. The sameness isn't where we're going. In other words, it is the goal that produces the unity. It is the goal. See, a football team is unified. A good football team is unified. That, what, what that, now, that doesn't mean that everyone plays the same position. What that means is they are all working toward the same goal line. If an orchestra is, is harmonious, it doesn't mean they're playing the same instrument. It means they're playing the same song. If a, if, if a choir sings in great harmony, it's not that they're singing the same parts. It's because they're adding their part to the same song. It's the goal that produces the unity. Therefore, when you have disunity, you have competing goals, you have competing agendas, and as people are pulling in one direction and other people are pulling in another direction because people have crafted their own agendas. They've crafted their own direction. They've crafted their own goals. It's torn many churches apart. Come on, somebody. Unity always involves uniqueness, but it is a variety of uniquenesses headed to the same purpose. And only in unity will Satan be thwarted and will God's power be experienced. Only in that unity. We actually have strength in our differences. It is our differences that give us the ability to reach many, many, many people. There are people I can reach that maybe you can't, but there are people that you can reach that I can't because you have a say-so on where you're at or you have influence on where you're at that I don't have. And so we come together, and when we come together, we are different, but we are one. And God uses those differences by design. They're designed that way. You are designed. to. I was designed to be different. Come on. I've had a lot of people tell me, you're different. No, I'm unique. Because I know why you said different. You think I'm weird. Come on, Marilyn, help me out here. Why are you laughing so hard over there? But we are created different by design so that we can reach different people. Here's my sincere hope. My sincere hope is this, is that you have never, ever heard me say something bad about another church or about another denomination, okay? Um, and and, and if, if, if I have, my goal is to be quick to apologize. You know, that, that, that's not who I want to be. I've purposed in my heart never to push off another group or another denomination or another ministry just to make us look better or to make me look better, okay? That's not who we are. And the reason I say this is because used to, that's what we used to do, not, not we, me. That's what I used to do back in my younger years, you know, before I had this gray. <laughs> I was getting my hair cut a couple weeks ago, and the lady cuts my hair. She said, you're getting some gray up there. 
I rebuked her in the name of Jesus. But back in my younger years, <laughs> we would say things, and sometimes it was things that you wouldn't even recognize. And, and sometimes it would be unintentional. But what I'd do is I'd, you know, you'd say things like, hey, we're not like other churches. I'm going to tell you the truth. Come on, somebody. We're, we're not like that. You know, <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth. Here we preach the word of God. Here we preach the truth. In our church, we preach the truth. And what I'm doing is I'm basically saying we're better than them. That's the whole thought behind that. Here we tell it like it is. Well, Jesus said, well, just shut your mouth and tell it like it is. Come on. Don't say, you know, and I used to when I was in my first pastor, actually my second pastor at Sepulpa, I, you know, we're, we're not like, we want to be a church that's fun and that's engaging, that's exciting. That when you come to church, hey, you're going to walk out singing the victory in Jesus, right? And we, we used to, you know, we, we, we're going to make this a big youth group. We're going to go on trips and we're going to eat a lot and we're going to eat some more. Then when we're full, we're going to eat one more time. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're not like other churches, but what I was saying is we're better. And our Heavenly Father doesn't like that too well. Because right. that's his kids too. Right. And so, anybody know what I'm talking about? Right. When we say things, when I say things like that, we're, we're taking a shot at somebody. Well, we're not the frozen chosen, bless God. We're not like them crazy charismatics. We're not like those weird tongue-talking people, which by the way, we are. <laughs> you know? And so there's, there's things that we said that, and as, as I was thinking about this, here's what the Holy Spirit just laid on my heart. Who cares what you're not like? Be who you are. Who cares who you're not like? Be who you are. Be exactly who you are. You don't have to push somebody else off to be who you are. I tell my kids all the time, I tell my youth all the time, and I'll tell you all the time. If someone else is trying to push you off and bring you down, it's because they're not comfortable in who they are. And so if they're trying to pull you down, they're trying to bring you down, they're trying to measure you up to their size, it's because they're not comfortable with themselves. And so for a, lot of, for a lot, long time, I would stand behind a pulpit and preach some of this stuff. And when I preached that stuff, it was because I was not secure in who God made me to be. I was not secure in the gifting that God had made me. But now that I'm old and gray-headed, yeah, I don't have to worry about what we're not. That's not the focus. The focus is who has God called us to be. And then we're going to go after that with everything that we are. And with everything that we have, we will be that church. Not focus on who we're not, but focus on who God made us to be. Amen? We'll come together. We'll walk together in unity. In fact, I'm going to say it like this. If we're going to make a mistake, I want this to be the posture. I know this is pastor's heart as well. This is to be the posture of our church. If we're going to make a mistake, we're going to err on the side of being for other believers. Not against them. Right. If we're going to make a mistake, we're going to speak well of other ministries. Oh. We're going to speak well of other movements. We're going to speak well of other denominations. Not against them. We pray for unity in the family of God so that God would be glorified and that the world would know that, Jesus, that God sent Jesus. Yeah. 
Why do we do this? We do this because we truly, desperately need one another. Elm Grove is at its best when First Baptist is at her best. Elm Grove is at her best when one life is at her best. Elm Grove, come on somebody. Elm Grove is at her best when restoration's at her best. Elm Grove is at her best when the Methodist church and the first Christian church are at their best. We are one. We are unified. We are one body. We are the church, and I love my church. Come on, somebody. The second reason we do this. See, I'm also, not only am I getting gray-headed, I'm getting fatter, too. Because right then, I just thought to myself, man, if that was 10 years ago, I'd be running laps around this place right now. But now I'm just thinking about, man, I'd like to have a piece of fried chicken, right? (laughs) The second reason we do this, the second reason, come on, that was good. The second reason we do this is because we uh, want the world to see God's love. We want the world to see God's love. In fact, the imagery here in Romans 15, verse 7, when Paul, along with his prayer, he said this. He said, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That Greek word, that's, uh, that Greek word uh, I had translated into English, the language, and to accept, that, that Greek word, it's so long, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's, it's crazy. You can go look it up. But it's, it's, it's a huge, long word, and if I try to say it, I just butcher it. But this Greek word is a very picturesque word to accept. And it carries with it the imagery of when you accept someone, you also receive them into your arms and you embrace them. And then the word carries this idea of you walking hand in hand together with them. And so when we accept somebody like Christ accepted you, how did Christ accept you? Well, Christ accepted you while you were still a sinner, Christ accepted you, right? That's what the word of God says. Before we agreed, before we got it together, he had accepted us. He was waiting on us to receive him. And instead of the body of Christ the church being known for what we are against, oh, we're against that and we're against that and we're against that and we're against that. Instead of us being known what we're against, then by the grace of God, I want us to be known for what we are for. What are we for? What is the body of Christ for? We are for people experiencing the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We are for loving marriages. We are for unified families. We are for an abundant life. We are for transformed lives. We are for empowered people. We are for people who want to influence and impact their community and impact their world. We are for us living this great life that Jesus called us to live before we ever get to heaven. He said, I'm going to bring you abundant life on earth. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm for that. And you're for that. And this front row is for that. And the back row is for that. We're all for that. What are we for? We're for God messing us up in a crazy way. We're for it. Now I want a chicken leg. In fact, Jesus said it more clearly in John chapter 13, 34 through 35. He said, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, so powerful. It says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciple if you love one another. There's one description of how the world will know we follow Jesus in the Bible. There's one. You know what that is? We love one another. You love one another. 
The third thing, I'm, 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 I'm closing here. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Sorry. I just want to give you hope. <laughs> the third thing is because with unity, we can do more together. Yeah. You saw that illustrated in, in, the, in the short little silly video. With unity, we can do more together. I believe with all my heart, and I hope you do too. I hope that's why you're part of of this church, is that the local church, we are a carrier of the hope of the world. I believe the local church is the carrier of the hope of the world. And through what we have to say, one way or another, this world is going to know. This world is going to know. This was the heartbeat and the attitude of the first century church. This is what made them thrive. And I want you to think about this. What did they have? They had no buildings. They had no television ministry. They had no fundraisers. They had no special campaigns. What did they have? What did they have against them? Well, they had massive persecution. They had people who just weren't tweeting bad things about the people. They were literally cutting off their heads. That's what they had against them. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. You're gone. You're out of here. And, And yet this little group of people, this band of, of, for the most part, non-educated, passionate followers of Jesus Christ, spread the gospel all over the world. They were known throughout the community. And this community said this, we may not believe in what they believe, but my goodness, they love each other. We not believe exactly what they believe. But man, the way they stand together is something like we've never seen before. Yes. And I want to show you how this is described in Acts chapter 4. It's so powerful. Luke described it this way. He said that all the believers were one. All the believers were one. They were one heart and one mind. Right. What does that mean? That means they were unified. Right. They were together. Right. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own. They shared everything they had. Pause right there. That's called crazy love. Yes, when you have access to my refrigerator, yes. you know you've reached VIP level at my house. Yes. They shared everything. That's next level. That's a level some people never see in their lifetime. Right. That's a level that when we were pastoring over at Sepulpa, I remember a night we had a man and his family it was on a Sunday night, and we were around the front, and during our altar service, and they come forward for prayer. They were having some financial struggles. And this was, this was a big guy. I mean, he was a big guy. And he had a beautiful wife and three beautiful daughters. And they were literally out on the streets. They had just got evicted from their home because the people who had the home was wanting to do some different things with the home. And so they, they didn't have a place to go. He was looking for a job. They were, I mean, and it, was, it was people who, man, they, they, they tried everything to help themselves. And they, they were trying. And they come forward that night, and we begin to pray for them. And it was a night I'll never forget. His name was Jack. And Jack just towered. Jack was probably 6'6", six, 6'8". Six, six, I don't know. He was big. He was big. He, and Jack was 6'6", six, 6'8", six, six, and 6'6", six, 6'8". Six, six, just a big guy. Man, I love that man. The big old teddy bear. And he'd just get emotional and he would bawl. He'd just cry. And that night we gathered around the front and we were praying. 
as we were praying, I was right in front of him. And, you know, he was standing right here facing me, and I was praying for him. And, and all of a sudden, I felt something in my hands. I had my hands on his shoulders. We'd been praying for a while. And my shoulders. And like riding one of those Harleys. You know? I had my hand on his shoulder, and all of a sudden, I felt something in my hand. I was like, what? What's that? And kind of opened my eyes. When I opened my eyes, there was a $100 bill in my hand. And I thought, well, someone bless God. Hallelujah, they just want to bless their pastor, right? Well, I knew it wasn't for me. I'm just messing. And so I took that $100 bill, and I just kind of tucked it inside. And then all of a sudden, there was another nudge on that same hand, and I just kind of looked over, and another woman, was, she had a $20 bill. And I said, what? Okay, okay. And no one said a word. We didn't get up the pulpit and say, hey, there's a need, and let's take up an offering. Just the Holy Spirit began to move upon people in that moment. And that family, they walked out of that service that night, and they had almost $2,800. And that family walked out of that service that night with a new rent house that they can move into immediately that God laid on a family's heart. That family walked out of that, and and I saw it. And in that moment, I've never seen a church act like acts with that. Till that moment. Then here at Elm Grove a few weeks ago, the pastor talked about a young man who was being released from incarceration and just talked about the, the need for he, he and his life. and um, We wanted to be a blessing to him. That afternoon, as people left here, we had people hand me money to give to that young man to help him out. And once again, I saw a church act like the church of Acts. This church has that heart. This church is one. This church is unified. You read the book of Acts. You read the church of Acts. You, you read their description. Man, Elm Grove, you guys are a phenomenal, phenomenal body believers. And I'm not here to say we need to get unified. I'm here just to encourage you and to affirm you. Man, you're on the right track. You're doing, and and, and a lot of that is because we have a pastor who demonstrates that. Not just behind the pulpit, but in his personal life. That's a blessing. And so I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in this way. I want to encourage you in these things. See, I would argue all day long that the world is sick and tired of hearing about the love of Jesus. The world wants to see it. Where they're sick and tired of hearing about it. They want to see it. And I just want to say what an honor it is to be on staff here. Because this is a church that we don't just talk. You don't just talk. But the community around us sees the love of Jesus through what you do. And it's such an honor. It's such an honor to be here. See, when God sees unity, God brings blessing. And God is blessing this church. And he's blessing the people of this church. And if you want to find blessing, you have to be in harmony. And if you want to find harmony, you have to be submitted to the Spirit of God. Matthew, I I am closing now. I am closing. Mark it down. This is my first one. Matthew 18, verse 20 says this. 
It says where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I'm in the midst of them. I want you to check this. It doesn't say where two or more are gathered in my name. It says where two or more are gathered together. And that began just to resonate with me. And I began to study that out. Why, why, why did he put gathered together? Not, not just gathered. Because gathered would make the exact same sense. Where two or more are gathered together. But he, he, he specifically put gathered together. It's because sometimes we can come together. We can, we can gather but not be together. Come on. There are marriages that are gathered, but they're not together. There are families that are gathered, but they're not together. And there's families of God that are gathered, but they're not together. And God said, I can't bless that. And I'm not even in the midst of that. Because it's not just about a gathering. It's not just about a number. I want you to hear this. You know, and I've used this all my life. Well, hey, there's two or three people here. God's here in the midst. No. He says, where you have gathered together in one mind and in one accord, then I am there in the midst. And that's why we're seeing God do some incredible things in the lives of people, you know, not just that come in these walls, but through people you influence in our community. It's because you're a part of, of, of a family that gathers together. And in that togetherness, God can pour out his blessing. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Oh, man, I'm all right. Second close. I'm done. I, let me turn back here. God will not work where there is no unity. He won't do it. But oh, how he will when there is. It's the key to our future. It's the key to Elm Grove. It's the key to First Baptist. It's the key to First Christian. It's the key to the whole family of God. Staying unified as one. Amen. God will not work where there is no unity. But oh, how he will when there is. And when there is, it's an awesome thing to be a part of. You get to experience it each and every Sunday, each and every week, each and every day. It's a cool thing to be a part of. And then Paul says this. He says, don't protect the unity. He says, preserve the unity. There's a difference. He's not saying, okay, no, no. You know, okay, no, we got new people coming in. No, no, you can't be a part of this. We're unified. We're good, right? We got this down. No, he's not saying protect the unity. He's saying preserve the unity. In preservation, we bring more people in. But we preserve what we have while adding more to the fold. And that's what we're going to do. Because we're one. Amen? I want you to stand your feet with me this morning.